0: Galatians chapter 4, turn in your Bible there with me. This may be another passage that isn't normally preached on at uh, Christmas time, but um, hopefully we'll see the correlation and the beauty here of it. Galatians chapter 4. Have you guys ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've had this conversation, and you said, man, let's make this like the best Christmas ever. I, I heard a story about a family, a dad who was really trying to focus his his family, particularly, particularly his little kids, on the true purpose of Christmas. And so he's saying, you know, let's not make this about uh, the family that's going to come and visit, although that's fun. Let's not make this about the presents that we're going to receive, although those can be fun. Let's not make this about all the food that we're going to be able to eat together, although that is fun and good. Uh, he said, let's let's make this about Jesus. And at the end of his kind of pep talk, he said that phrase. He said, okay, let's make this the best Christmas ever. And his one of his young little kids, I think his little boy, probably four or five years old, he says, Dad, I hear what you're saying, but could we ever make it better than the first Christmas? Could anything ever be better than the first Christmas? And I wonder, would we agree with that little boy? Would we agree that the first Christmas really, how, how could we improve on that? Consider some of the things that happened the first Christmas. An army, uh, an army of angels appeared announcing the birth of the Savior. They said, born as Christ the Lord in the city of Bethlehem. To a bunch of shepherds, this army of angels came and sang praises. Uh, the star, this is not a normal star that led the wise men to where Jesus was, where they would worship him. Herod heard of this baby being born king of the Jews, and he took it so seriously that he had all the male babies killed. Now I heard I heard this said recently. Um, no one believed the incarnation more than Herod, because he was willing to commit infanticide. No one believed more than him. He took it really seriously. Something else amazing that happened that first Christmas, a teenage girl who had never been with a man was told she was going to give birth to the Son of God. These are these are incredible, like once in a lifetime events. I've never seen an army of angels. I would I gather to guess that you guys haven't either. All of these things. I've never seen these things in my lifetime. Think about the first Christmas. It had just a little bit of everything. It had drama. It had mystery. It had suspense, it had scandal, had royalty, it had lowly people, it had life, it had death, it had some of everything. And if you consider the scope of all of human history, Christmas is at the center of it all. The birth of Christ is at the center of everything. The good news of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, like we said last week, is tied to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So really, how could we improve on that? There are a lot of passages that help us see this, both Old and New Testament, but Galatians 4 is one that the Lord led me to this week, very succinctly explains what this is. Let's read chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray. Lord, there's, there's so much beauty and wonder in this, these verses. There's so much to be excited about. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to reflect on and learn. And so, Lord, may our hearts be open to that. For everyone listening, Lord, I pray that we would see and be moved by what you have to share in your word to us today. Uh, may your spirit uh, be in charge here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the whole of Galatians chapter 4 isn't all about Jesus' birth, but Paul uses his birth as a way for the Galatians to understand the inheritance of believers that uh, the believers have. And he's talking about the law. He's talking about being under the law. He's talking about being enslaved to the principles of this world. But then something happens in verse 4. Then something happens. That's what the buts there stands for. Those verses preceding it. He says, but now something happens. Something big happens when the fullness of time had come. So for Christians reading these words directly from Paul, this would have been extra great news. Don't miss that. We read it thousands of years later, and we've waited and waited and waited, but the the Galatian Christians are reading this, and they're saying, the fullness of time had come. Okay, this is pretty fresh to them. They knew their history. They knew the covenants that God had made with their forefathers. They knew the prophecies like Malachi, like Micah, like... Zechariah, they've been waiting and waiting for this news. And Paul says that the timing of the advent of Jesus came at just the right time. So that's what that phrase, in the fullness of time, means. It means when the time was right. In essence, that's what it's getting at. So in Romans 5, verse 6, Paul says something similar. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly. That's the same kind of thinking. It's the same kind of phrasing that he uses. So Christ was born at just the right time according to the sovereign timing of God. Truth be told, we don't know for absolute certain that Jesus was born on the 25th of December. Okay, we're not completely sure of that sort of thing. Some differences in ancient calendars and date keeping kind of might change that or shift it just a little bit. But what we do know is that the birth of this true, factual, real, historical person of Jesus Christ changed history forever. How you tell time was changed by the birth of Jesus. I hope we understand that. His his birth literally split B.C. and A.D., Okay. BC means before Christ. AD doesn't mean after death. It comes from Latin term enno domini, I think is how you say it. I'm not a Latin guy. But it means in the year of our Lord. So AD means in the year of our Lord. So literally the birth of Jesus split time in two. The hinge of time was Jesus' birth. So this is, this is the truth. Whether a person wants to believe that Jesus is true or not, they're already influenced in their life by the, by the birth and life of Jesus because their watches and their calendars have already been influenced by Him. I love how Pastor H.B. Charles says this. He says, Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth. He's the blending of human and deity. He is the meeting place of time and eternity. At just the right time, Paul says, in the fullness of time, at the appointed time, we might say, Scripture says that the Son of God personally came and occupied human history. Now, now, this is big, and Jason mentioned this. Please understand that the incarnation of Christ is not a plan B. This wasn't a fallback in case it didn't go as planned. This was not a plan B. And I, I don't know all the answers either, but we do see some information about that here in these verses. Paul says in these verses, as well as Romans 5 that I quoted from, and others, that this wasn't just some last-minute solution to the problem of sin. It wasn't a, a fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants kind of a situation here. No. It was in the fullness of time, at just the right time, that Jesus came. It wasn't too early. It wasn't too late. All of history, every event, in fact, plays out according to God's divine timetable. Time it's right on time. So there may be times when a person feels like they were born in the wrong era or in the wrong period of history but the truth is every one of us is born according to the sovereign will of God who determines their allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places that's what acts 17:26 says so if we can trust that God orchestrated the redemption of sinners at just the right time in human history. Don't you think that we can trust God with what's going on in our lives now? I hope that we will. I hope that you'll take that as an encouragement and challenge this holiday season to trust the Lord. If at just the right time Christ came, he'll come through for you as well. In fact, this was Malachi's whole message concerning the second coming of Christ, wasn't it? We don't know definitively the day of judgment that's coming, but we know that it's coming. In fact, Peter reminded us in 2 Peter 3.9 that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. God's not slow. He's not dragging his feet, friends. He's right on time. Acts 17.30 and 31 also teach this. It says, Now he commands everyone to repent, every, people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which... He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's speaking about Jesus there. Christ was born in the fullness of time, and Christ will return in the fullness of time. He was born at just the right time according to the sovereign timetable of God, and he's going to come back at the fullness of time at just the right time according to the sovereign timetable of God. Take it to the bank. Count on it. It's guaranteed, he says. Look at verse 4. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. At just the right time, God sent his son. Now, sent forth means to dispatch. Not dispatch in the sense of necessarily killing something, but dispatch in the sense of sending something off with a purpose. Like maybe an army army. To battle, you dispatch that military regiment in this area, or maybe commissioning a person for a specific task, sending them forth. Paul uses this term to speak of Christ and the incarnation. And so, sent from the presence of God, because he was with God, Jesus as the son of God was sent forth with a purpose. When we needed a substitute, when the time was right, God sent his son. At some point, he sent Abraham. He sent his son Isaac. He sent Jacob. He sent them. He sent Moses. He sent Joshua. He sent Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah. He sent Micah, Zechariah, Malachi. He sent angels. He sent miracles. He sent all of these things. But in the fullness of time, when mankind needed a savior, just the right time, God sent His very best. Did you hear that? God sent his very best. He sent his son, his one and only son. He didn't send the world's strongest person or the guy with the the most brilliant military mind because our biggest problem isn't an opposing army. He didn't send the most suave and well-spoken politician because our biggest problem isn't the wrong form of government. 1 John 4.14 says, The Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's his purpose. At just the right time, God sent his best to be the Savior of the world. He sent forth his Son. Then it says this Son was born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus came not only as God's Son, but He, he came as the human child of a human woman. He was God the Son and he was human and he was both of these things at the same time. The King James, I think, helps us here. It says, made of woman, made under the law. This is a different word in the Greek than the typical word for born that the English Standard Version uses. I think the distinction here is helpful and important because made implies a previous state of existence which born doesn't. And so he was made under the law he was made of a woman and under the law and when we pair that with some of other uh, other of paul's writings philippians chapter 2 uh, colossians chapter 1 we see that paul has in mind here in galatians 4 as well that jesus as the son of god existed with god the father before he was as john 1 puts it made flesh and dwelt among us paul's consistent in this Verse 4 says, he was made of a woman. Now we would say, I would hope, the most direct reference here is to his mother Mary. That's how he was made of a woman. Because only a woman is mentioned here, right? It doesn't say that he was made of a man because he wasn't born with that nature. Jesus was God's son. But he was of a woman. He took part in her flesh and blood. This is what Paul illustrates in Philippians chapter 2, 5 and 6. He says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The verse says that he emptied himself. I, I don't pretend to know exactly everything that that means. We might say that he limited himself to some degree, exchanging omniscience for a human brain, That would have to learn to walk, crawl, walk, talk, write. God, Jesus traded these things, the glories and splendors of heaven for that to come in the likeness of men. Think about this with me. Before the birth of Christ at the incarnation, every expression of love from God was misunderstood by people to some degree. It was misunderstood. He gave the law. He gave the prophets. He gave the kings. And each time, the people got part of it. They got it in part, but they didn't get it in whole. But at the incarnation, God's message of love was perfectly proclaimed, perfectly demonstrated, perfectly displayed. God became one of us. He took on flesh. He spoke a language that people could understand. On Christmas, God the Son was born in the likeness of men by a woman, Paul says in Galatians 4.4. 4. He also says that he was made under the law. And this will be really important for the next phrase, but thinking of that phrase, under the law, it means a couple of things. He was under the civil and judicial law as a Jew, right? He couldn't just do whatever he wanted because he was God in the flesh. He still had to live under the law the day and age. As a son of Abraham... He was made under the ceremonial law, so he still was observing the circumcision, the feasts, the observances that they had to do, were called to do. He was born under the moral law. He kept perfectly. He suffered the consequences of it on our behalf, though. He was also born under the physical law, in a sense that he couldn't jump off of a cliff and not get hurt, right? So I think, really Paul's reference here to the law is explained more in verse five. So read it with me. It says he was made under the law for a purpose to redeem those who were under the law. I mentioned last week, the idea of redemption. It has this idea of buying something back of purchasing something. Uh, It even has the idea of paying the ransom price. And so this kind of phrase was often used in old Testament or new Testament time in, in, The idea of purchasing the freedom of a slave. Okay, redeeming that person. Isn't, isn't that a picture of who we are? Slave to sin? Jesus himself says that we are in John 8 34. He says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We practice, we practice it. Oftentimes we get really good at sin, right? We figure out effective ways of lying of keeping things from our parents or from our boss or from our spouse. We get really good at it because we practice it. And Jesus says if you practice it, you're slave to it. We're the slave on the auction block. This is why we need a a a redeemer. The bondage of sin is not something that we can break on our own. This is why someone must purchase our freedom for us. And that's the purpose of Christmas. That's the purpose of the incarnation. Jesus was made of a woman, made under the law for a specific purpose. Did you catch it? To redeem those who were under the law, to set sinners free, to redeem those who, as Isaiah put it in Isaiah 59 that we looked at last week, to redeem those who turn from iniquity. This is the purpose of the coming of Christ. He had an earthly mother. He was made under the same law that we are. But he resisted temptation in ways that we never can. Because he wasn't born with the nature of Adam. This is one of the many truths that the writer of Hebrews comforts believers with. In Hebrews 4.15, he says, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The phrase made of a woman, that phrase can be said of every person here, right? Be said of Jesus, but the phrase God sent forth his son can only be said of Jesus. And if Jesus was no more than a mortal man who, uh, when he walked this earth, Why would Paul go to the extra trouble of stating specifically that he was made or born of a woman? I think that's an obvious statement that that can be said of every human being. But paired with the preceding verse of God sent forth his son, we know that Jesus was more than just a mere man. He was God in the flesh. He was the son of God. And he stood before the father with all the sin upon him that we through faith might stand before God with none of that sin on us. Now, you've heard it said this way. At Calvary, Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe for those who owed a debt that they couldn't pay. It's true. I read this week that the doctrine of redemption that we're really talking about here is three-dimensional. And I love this. First, these are in your notes, it's three-dimensional. First, we're redeemed from something. We're redeemed from curse, the curse and bondage of sin. Secondly, we're redeemed by something, the sacrifice and blood of Jesus. Thirdly, we're redeemed to something. And that's what comes next. Look at verse five tells us that Christ was born without sin and he died so that we might receive adoption as sons were redeemed from curse, the curse and bondage of sin, were redeemed by the sacrifice and blood of Christ, and were redeemed to adoption as sons and daughters. In biblical times, there were some people who would pay the ransom for slaves, right? That's, that's why they did that whole thing. They would come and they would bid on them, and they would buy purchase the, the, a slave, and they would do it for one or two, two two reasons usually. Number one, it was to buy them and make them their own slave in their own house. Number two, they could buy them and set them free. Purchase their freedom, set them free, okay? It's true that Christ came to set men and women free. And that's wonderful news. In fact, if we just stopped there, being set free from the bondage of sin and death is great news. It's fantastic news. It might be good enough, but God's work didn't stop there. He hasn't purchased our pardon to enslave us to more bondage like we think of in this world. He didn't send forth his son only to set us free. What does the text say? Verse 5 says that Jesus came that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. This is something that would have been unheard of, I think, in Paul's day. Freeing them is one thing. Making them a slave in your own house, yeah, we get that. But making them a son? saving them from slavery and transferring them to sonship, making them an heir, a full heir with all the benefits that go along with that? No, that wouldn't have happened. If so, extremely rarely. But in Christ, that's what believers get. In Christ, slaves to sin are given an heir's inheritance. Before we finish, let me, let me point out the word receive just real quick. The text does not say because we deserve adoption as sons. It doesn't say because we earn adoption as sons. What does it say? Independent of any good works that we do, God adopts sinners into his family through the work of Jesus on the cross. The really, really good news of Christmas, the good news of the incarnation is that in order to be saved, we must only receive by faith what God has done for us in his son. You receive it. You don't earn salvation. You just receive it. You don't earn adoption. You don't earn God's love. What do you do? You just receive it. Jesus went from God. He was sent from God and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live in order to redeem us so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. And to this, what do we say? we say, praise the Lord. To this, we say, Merry Christmas. It's about Jesus. And so I would encourage you, as we continue and as Christmas just gets uh, about a week away, a few days away, I'd encourage you, consider what Christ has done on behalf of all of those who put their faith in him. All of those who, as Isaiah 59 said, who, who turn from their sin. Re- a Redeemer is waiting. The work has been done, guys. All you do is receive it. Believe it and receive it. And I pray that you would, even today. Let's pray. Lord, the great news of Christmas is that we celebrate what happened, not just on Christmas. We celebrate what happened in the manger, in the life of Christ, On the cross and in the empty tomb, we celebrate that all year long. But this time of year is special because family and friends gather around together. May we be bold in sharing the truth of Jesus, his purpose. He didn't come to bring us good food and big families. He came to redeem sinners who have no way of being redeemed on their own. So, Lord, we can be thankful for those things, for food and family. May we be thankful for those things, but they're not the purpose of Christmas. Remind us of its true purpose. Remind us of our state without Christmas. Bonds of slavery to sin. Death as our only end. And now, through Christ, we don't fear those things anymore because they no longer hold us in bondage. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for His birth, the life he lived, the death he died, and how he gloriously rose again. He can identify with us in everything because he's been tempted in those ways, yet was without sin, and we're grateful for that, Lord. Thank you, not just for his example, but for the life-giving spirit that he puts in his people. Lord, may that be us. Turn our hearts to you today, whether for the first time or back again. In his name we pray, amen. Amen.